Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We're starting in chapter 4 today. In chapter 4, you can kind of view it as a, a pivotal chapter, if you will. It's a marker in the book of Ephesians. It is where the, the, the tone changes, the, the, uh, uh, the perspective changes just a touch. Paul really gets um, very specific now about how we are to respond. He spent three chapters, or the first half of his letter, unpacking what God has done for us, what he's called us to the blessings that he's given us, uh, how he's saved us. Let me go down a list here. He, he called attention to the fact that God redeemed us, saved us, brought us from death to life, made us his sons and daughters, blessed us with every heavenly blessing, and dwelled us with the Holy Spirit, empowered us to live for him and to love others, that God gave us good works to do, and then he gave us one another. And, and really, Paul takes on chapter 4 and he says, in light of this, in light of all that you've been given, in light of what God has done for you, in light of this brand new life, here's what our response should be. Here's how we're going to live in this close relationship with the Father. Here's what our lives are going to be like. Here's some of the choices and decisions that we're going to need to make. Here's how best we live our lives to be a part of these great works that God has for us. And he begins pretty much where he left off in chapter 3 before he began his prayer that we looked at last week. And he begins to talk about relationships. He begins to talk about unity in the body, that how brothers and sisters would live together. Now, he's already said that there's to be unity, He's already said that unity should mark the body of Christ, but now he's going to get into a few key words and phrases that tell us how it is that we will be unified. But let's be honest. It's kind of tough to get along with everybody, isn't it? If we're really honest, there's all sorts of people that irritate us, rub us the wrong way. Personalities are like oil and water. Even in the even in the families, it seems like they never have disagreements and bickerings. They do. There's always the fight in the back seat. There's always the two kids going after it somehow, some way, some fashion. Right? And if you, even in the, the marriages that seem to just be so incredibly peaceful, there's disagreements. There's, there's conflict. And as Paul unpacks this idea of unity, it doesn't mean that there will never be disagreements. It doesn't mean that there will never be conflict. And it certainly doesn't mean that every personality will be absolutely enjoyed by every other personality. But what it does mean is that there is to be unity despite our differences. There is to be unity despite our personalities. 
There is supposed to be unity above all else in the body of Christ. What are some of the things? Well, you know, we have a sin nature that causes us to have a bent towards selfishness. We have blind spots, and we see things that others don't see. You don't see that. Well, you should be doing this, this, or that. And they're saying, well, you don't see this in your life, and you should be doing this. And ah, there's just conflict just develops. We all have our unique perspectives, and we think that everybody should have that same unique perspective. Remember when you first got married? That first year of marriage was so fun, and it was exciting, and full of laughter maybe, and discovery. I know, we're all laughing, right? Because here's what we discovered. We discovered one another's strengths and weaknesses real fast. We discovered, you do what in your sleep? We discovered things like, you celebrate holidays how? We discovered how each person handles anxiety and conflict and cause us to scratch our head a little bit. You see, unity in the body of Christ with all the personalities that God puts together will never be without conflict. It'll never be without disagreement. But it always is to be unified. So Paul picks up in chapter 4, verse 1. And let me encourage you to go to that, to chapter 4, verse 1 right now. And as we do, it starts out in verse 1, and it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, he's letting everybody know, I'm not a prisoner for you. I'm not a prisoner for me. I'm not a prisoner because of, uh, of something I've done or haven't done. I am a prisoner because this is exactly where the Lord wants me to be. I'm a prisoner by the Lord's choice. I'm a prisoner. And I'm not going to sit here and whine and cry and and everything else about it. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. He goes on to say, I urge you. This was a pleading. This was a, 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 a begging. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I, in, in light of all the things I've just said, in light of everything I've just told you, in light of all the heavenly blessings you've been given, in light of the redemption, in light of the, uh, of the adoption, in light of everything, then I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling, to live a life that is absolutely responsive to the Father, live a life worthy of everything He has done for you. You're not living a life so that He will love you. There's a life to be lived because He does love you. You're not living a life so that He will save you. You're living this life because He has saved you. And He goes on to say, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is to be peace in the body of Christ. Not always agreement, but peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is not a call to uniformity, it's a call to unity. Uniformity is the thing that shreds and tears apart unity. God made us unique. He made us different. He made us uh, have different 
desires. He made us so that we would want to worship him in, in different ways. And it's not about everybody looking the exact same way. And it's not about everybody acting the exact same way. And it's not about everybody having all the exact same thoughts. That's not unity. That's uniformity. And when uniformity is what is preached and when uniformity is what is desired, there will be nothing but battles and divisions because somebody has to win what it is that will be unified. Because you have your idea of unified, and I have, I mean, not unified, but uniformity, and I have my idea of uniformity, and we will fight to the bitter end to win our way. And that's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about unity, the bond of peace that is found in keeping our focus on the one Jesus, the one Lord, the one Father, the one Spirit, the one Word, that we were baptized in one baptism. I don't know where you received your baptism, but it could have been at a, at a I don't know, uh, Joe's Cowboy Church on the corner. That's great. And you could have been baptized by, by, by Billy Graham or, or, or by Rick Warren or, or by the youth pastor at your church. It just doesn't matter. As long as you are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, then we have one baptism. It is all brought together by the one name of Jesus Christ who is declared in the one holy book of the Bible. It's, we're one. And we find unity there. Why does the outside world so often scratch their head at the church? It's not because there's denominations. It's just some differences. It's not that there's groupings of Christians. That's just, I like the group of people who we get along pretty well. You know, that we like to do it this way or we want to focus on this. There's churches that focus on on serving and, and, and providing justice for people. And that's their main focus right after the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some that will focus on children and family above all else. There's some that will focus on foreign missions above all else. That is right after the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they gather for those reasons and those purposes. And that's amazing. The world doesn't look into our church and scratch their heads because we have this vast difference, differences in the way we worship or conduct ourselves. It's because we tear one another down. It's because we trash talk one another. It's because we say this church is better than that church and this church isn't this and that church is something else. And then they get inside the walls of a church and it's still happening. And this group of people in this church isn't acting the way they should be acting and that one's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I show up here and nobody else shows up with me. The people of this church are blah, 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 blah. We trash talk and we, we break down unity because we want everybody to be in uniformity with what I think and what I want. And Paul's not calling for that at all. He's calling for there to be a peace that is focused on Jesus Christ and what he has done because he has brought peace between us and God and that we are to bring a peace between us and one another. We should celebrate our differences. We should celebrate those things. We should be glad that God made us different. We should be glad that we can say yes to different things. We should be glad about that. We should be praising him about that. And we should be encouraging one another to use their gifts and their talents. The very first thing we find out in here is that Unity is not an option. It's not an afterthought. It's not a special elective that we can just choose or not choose. Unity is not an option. Listen to John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, <laughs> I would circle that, by this, what is it? 
God's love that he's loved us with, that we're to love one another with. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. How is it that the world knows we follow Jesus Christ? It's by the way we love our brothers and sisters first. It will be how we love the rest of the world as well, absolutely. But how is it we love our brothers and sisters? They will know that something dramatic and radical has happened in our lives. There's been a transformation that has taken place in our lives. Because I can love the brothers and sisters in this body, and I can love the ones in the body right down the street, and I can love the ones at, at Destiny who's meeting right now, and I can love the ones at Cornerstone who's meeting right now, and Percival Baptist is meeting right now, and, and, and the Nazarene church up on the hill is meeting right now, and, and every little home church is meeting right now. I can love them all because we are in Christ, and Christ has showered me with his love. And he said, you are so different than me. And in fact, you irritate me 99% of your life because I'm always telling you, Tim, do this, or Tim, go in this direction, or Tim, this is what's best. And you're always just, just ignoring me and turning your back on me and acting like a fool, Tim. But guess what? I love you so much that I died for you and brought you into this amazing relationship with me, deposited my spirit in you so that you would never be without me, and the two of us are now locked for eternity. Can you love your brother or sister a little bit? Enough to create unity in the church. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Listen to this for a minute. When we talk about that, it's not an option. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil schemes. I mean, these are, these are pretty big ones. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. This is quite the list. A false witness that pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You see, unity and peace is not an option. And in fact, God hates disunity. There are six things the Lord hates. And disunity is one of them. How quickly we talk about our brother and sister. How quickly we point fingers at another church. How quickly we call one church a better church than another church. But you can't do that. We just can't do it because it's not an option for us. In John 17, 20 through 23, it says this. This is, this is the Lord's priestly prayer for all believers as he headed to the cross. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning those direct disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us that all of them may be one. Our Savior's priestly prayer before he headed to the cross to draw all of us who would put their faith in him, a faith that was given to us by him, he prayed for unity. Father, just as you and I, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, all one Lord, one Father, right? One spirit, one body. May they all be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. And here it comes now. That they may be one as we are one. Think about that for a second. The body of Christ is supposed to be as tight and together as the Trinity. We are supposed to be as loving and trusting as the Trinity. That is an amazing thought that does not darken our thoughts too often. 
but it needs to. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, here's the result. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's through our unity. We're going to go and we're going to declare the gospel. We're going to go and declare all that the first three chapters spoke about. We're going to declare that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to love others with that great love. And then we're going to say, and if you think that this is all false, if you think this is just a hoax, if you think the Spirit really doesn't invade believers, then I want you to do me a favor. I want you I'm going to lift up the cover of the church, and I want you to look into the church because look at how we love one another. Where have you ever seen millions of people love one another like this? Where have you ever seen millions of people willing to lay down their life for one another like this? Where have you seen millions of people that obey the Lord's command to love as I have loved, and there's no greater love than the one that lays down its life for another? Where have you seen that? It must be God who's transforming people all around us. And they will know that the story of God is not fiction, but it is real. Unity is not an option. But there's another thing we need to see from this passage is that it's not easy. Right? And things that aren't easy, we tend to run away from. Things that aren't easy, we tend to stop working on. Things that aren't easy, we get frustrated with and just throw our hands up. Look, unity will not be easy. It's impossible. Unity won't be easy. It will be one of the hardest tasks that the body of Christ has. But we've been equipped with the Spirit. We've been given power to do just this. And we have the love of Christ that was in us to love one another. Ephesians 4.3, which we just read. Make every effort, do all that you can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Galatians 5.19-21 reminds us of this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now listen to these. Hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's literally supposed to be the example of because then he goes on to say what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Love, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, right? He, he tells us what that is, that these things should come out of your life when the Holy Spirit is in your life, when you've surrendered your life to Christ. You're, you're reading and growing and learning and, and, and submitting more and more of your life to Christ every day. These things will bring about unity, love, joy, peace, patience. But these things here, these are part of the sinful nature. And if all you do is live according to those, your life has never been transformed you've never given your life to Christ, then these things here are going to lead you away from the Father and keep you away from the Father. Then, it also lets us in on something else. We're still here. And all those sinful desires, the desires of the flesh, they're still within us. We can now submit them to Christ. Christ has the power for us to live outside of them and to not have to be bound to them any longer but they're still within us. How hard is it going to be for there to be unity in the body when this is part of the list, right? Hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy. That means I just got to know that when I'm in relationship with you, these are things that can come out. 
because they're in you and they're in me. And they're always fighting for a position in our lives. They're always fighting to be let out. They're always fighting to derail our walk with Christ. And they're always fighting to mess up unity and peace in the body of Christ to ruin the witness of the church. They're always fighting within us. So let's never think that it'll be easy. But you know, we can be passionate even about something really good. We can be passionate about something really good and it can come out really wrong and cause a disunity. We can be passionate about something. I'm reading scripture, right? And I'm getting into it every day as the Lord would want me to do. And I'm just, I'm getting into it and I'm understanding it and I'm chewing it up and I'm getting a lot out of it. And suddenly the Lord goes, boom! And there's this amazing truth that's unfolded right before my eyes and it suddenly transitions and transforms a different part of my life that hadn't been transformed before. And it utterly stops me in my tracks, turns me, and I start to head in life in a different direction. That's amazing. And I show up to one of my life groups, right? The ones who were about to kick off. And I show up to my life group. And I'm like, Nancy, you got to know. You got to know this part of scripture. And I read it to you. And I'm like, that's exciting, isn't it? And you're going, yeah, that's exciting. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Is this truth being played out in your life? And you're like, sure. I'm like, no, it's not sure. It's now. And this has to now become the most important thing in your life because God has made it the most important thing in my life right now. It is the word of God. That's a really good thing. And for Nancy to work and wrestle with that, with that part of scripture is amazing and it's good for her. However, it might not be the work that God's doing in her life right now. And I look at her and go, whoa, what kind of, what kind of follower of Christ are you? I'm not going to go to work on that. You've heard the truth, and obviously you're denying the truth. She's like, denying the truth, man. I just, I just said it's good. <laughs> it, it's good. But right now, the Lord's clipping my wings in some other ways. The Lord's showing me something that I, I have to wrestle with. And now, discord, jealousy, all sorts of things start to come out. I have to fight against those things because unity has to be the greatest thing. I have to fight against those things because love has to be the greatest thing. And I just have to know that it's not going to be easy to have unity. And I don't get to run away when it's not easy. I just don't get to run away when it's not easy. When I don't get my own way or I've been hurt because you will be hurt. Or when I've been humiliated because you will be humiliated. When I have somebody step on me because somebody will step on you. When I've had somebody poke me in the eye because somebody will poke you in the eye. Everybody around you has a sinful nature lurking. And yet Christ has overcome it. And we're to overcome their offense with love. But God designed it, and we're just called to maintain it, not create it. God designed it, and we're called to maintain it, not create it. There is one body, one spirit, and you is called the one hope. When you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and end all. Remember Romans 12, 18? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Scripture. Keep your focus on the Holy Spirit. Keep your focus on the unity in the body of Christ. And as much as possible within you, be at peace with all people. You're the peacemaker. Bring it into every relationship. It doesn't say if they're responding. It doesn't say if they're receiving of it. It doesn't say if they're nice. It doesn't say if you like them. 
It doesn't say, I'd really rather not lose that friendship. It doesn't say anything like that at all. As much as possible as it depends on you, bring peace into the relationship. Bring peace. You're going to hold on an olive branch and somebody's going to break it. Bring peace. It doesn't mean that you're saying, this pastor is saying, show up and get stabbed again. It doesn't say, show up, lay down, and let them kick you a few more times. There can be boundaries. There's appropriateness of how we, how we go and seek peace. But peace is always to be offered. Forgiveness is always to be offered. Mercy is always to be granted. Grace, there should be an abundance of it. What are the unity busters? What are the unity busters? Pride and selfishness. Remember Philippians 2, 3 through 5? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Pride and selfishness. I'm special. (laughs) Who would say that? I'm important. I'm a priority. My feelings are a priority. This is my church. It needs to be my way. We can become prideful over our abilities, our possessions, our education, our social status, our appearance, our power, or even our biblical knowledge. Personal opinion, personal preferences, or a passage of Scripture. We can become prideful and selfish about all of those. And why do we fight over those things? Well, because we just think we're a little bit better. Pride and selfishness destroy unity. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? He gave himself up. Impatience is a unity buster. Romans 14, 1 through 4 says this, Accept one another whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. That means we're accountable to Jesus Christ and then to one another. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. When God convicts our heart to do something, we're supposed to go do it. When God convicts us to abstain from something, we should abstain from it. When God says this is a sin, we should all move away from it. When God says that I should not go to this place or I should go to this place, that's where we're supposed to go. And somebody else may not be there yet. I talk to people all the time about things, uh, 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 sin in the Bible, things that we're supposed to move away from in our lives. And they're just not there yet. And so we talk about it. And I let the Lord do the work he's going to do in their lives. And I bring it before him and I bring scripture before him. But I don't sit there and shake my pointy little finger at him. And tell them how awful and terrible that they are because they're not yet surrendering that area of their life to Christ. I'm quick to tell them that there is blessing that follows obedience. I'm quick to tell them that the Lord wants to to bless this area of your life if you will surrender it to the Lord and stop using it for sinful, selfish purposes. I'm quick to say that. What? 
I don't get to put them down, to malign them, to do anything else like that. And I must be patient with them. It will take time for each of us to grow up in the Lord. It'll take time for each of us to grow up in maturity. It'll take time for each of us to learn how to focus on unity and not discord, which means this. When you're acting selfish and you're acting prideful, I still need to be patient with you. And when I'm acting selfish and prideful, you still need to be patient with me. You can call it pride. It is. But be patient as I learn. And I'll be patient with you. And we'll be patient with one another. See how all that unpacks itself. But impatience is a buster. So how is it we can get along even when it's difficult? How is it we can live, get along even when it's difficult? The first one, Paul says, is be humble. Be humble. Humility flows from an accurate self-assessment. An accurate self-assessment. Remember Romans 12.3. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgments in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Just view yourself how God has. And when God's made you good at something, you're good at it. When God hasn't made you good at something, you're not too good at it. When you haven't had the opportunity to grow in something to become better at it, it's okay. You're just not the greatest at it. And when God's given you the opportunity to become very successful and skilled at something, then you are. Just have a sober judgment of yourself that God is the one that's steering and directing your life. He's giving you opportunities. He's bringing you to who you are. And just... Sit well in that. Don't flaunt it in front of anybody else. And and don't beat yourself up over it. Enjoy who God made you to be. Have an accurate self-assessment. Humbleness flows out in awareness of your shortcomings. It's okay not to be great at everything. And it's okay not to dislike the person who is great at what you're not great at. It's really okay. It's okay to celebrate when somebody else is really good at the thing that you're not. It's okay to celebrate when someone is having success in an area that you're not. Because you can have an absolute awareness of your shortcomings. Both as I mature in Christ, I'm not quite there, but that person is. And oh, woe is me. No, not woe is you. You're learning. You're growing. You're submitting. You're being challenged by the Holy Spirit. You're in communion with the body. The body's going to help you grow. Just have an awareness of your shortcomings and make sure it's an accurate awareness. And don't put anybody else down because of your shortcomings. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, you remember this one. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Just take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You can look at this as reading scripture with a mirror and not binoculars. We're going to read scripture with a mirror and not binoculars, right? So part of humbleness flowing out of the awareness of my own shortcomings is not only am I just looking at one another, not only am I just seeing what I'm good at or not good at, not only am I willing to celebrate when somebody else is good at something or moving further along in their walk, when I read scripture, I don't read it with binoculars. Yeah, who in the body of Christ isn't like this? I'm reading it going, oh, you know what? 
man, I really need to give Chris this passage because she's got to get this whipped up, right? D.E., you need this passage, brother. You got to get this straightened out in your life. Christy, this passage, it's for you now. And instead, I need to be reading Scripture with a mirror. Whoa. Yeah, that one's for me. Oh, that one's for me. And suddenly, I'm willing to do the work of pulling the plank out of my own eye. And then I can walk up to my brother because he might have that same plank in his eye. And then I can walk up to my brother and sister and go, Lord's been working on me. Lord's been pulling that same plank out of my eye. Can I help you, brother? Can I help you, sister? And finally, it flows out of this. It flows out of our security. The more insecure I am, the more I have to battle for my power, prestige, and preferences. Let me say that again. It flows out of my security, which is why Paul spent so much time talking about who we are in Christ, talking about the deposit of the Holy Spirit, talking about our hope, our salvation, talking about that it is all him and not us, talking about that it is solidified and it is, it is, it is, it is, it is done for an eternity, and that we are now sons and daughters, full heirs to God. <sighs> Our humility flows out of our security. The more secure I am, the more insecure I am, the more I have to battle for my power, prestige, and preferences. When I feel really crummy about myself, when I feel really insecure about how much God loves me, when I feel really insecure about my place in the body of Christ, then I will attack me. And I will break down unity bit by bit piece by piece. But when I'm humble, I'm absolutely secure in who I am in Christ and the work he's doing in me. Right? When I'm absolutely secure, it's going to bring out this humility that I know God's doing a great work in me and he's doing a great work in you. And oh man, and that humbleness gets excited for you and where you're going in your walk and what God's doing in your life. And I want to be a part of that. Gentleness. You see, humility always produces gentleness or meekness. That word can be translated either gentle or meek, and meek is one of the surest signs that somebody is walking in humility. The word translated in gentleness refers to that which is mild-spirited and self-controlled. It's the opposite of vindictiveness and vengeance. The meaning of gentleness has nothing to do with weakness, timidity, indifference, or cowardice. It was used of wild animals that were tamed, especially of horses that were broken and trained. Such an animal still has his strength and spirit, but its will is under the control of the masters. The tamed lion is still powerful, but his power is under control of the trainer. The horse can run just as fast, but he runs only where his master tells him to run. Meekness or gentleness is the power under control having your emotions under control. People who are angered at every nuisance or inconvenience know nothing of meekness or gentleness. Proverbs 16, 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. We treat people gently. We approach them gently. We let them walk in their walks with Christ gently. We always speak the truth. We always tell the truth. We always bring the word of God to somebody and let them bring the word of God to us. But we do it with gentleness. 
They do it with anticipation of what God will do in their life, not what my beating them up can do. We do it for the sake of unity, out of love. And gentleness comes out of our humility. And finally, patience. Which let me just give you this quick understanding of patience. Patience in Scripture is not when somebody says something crummy to me and I'm just, I patiently endure it. Mm -mm, That's not patience in Scripture. It's not when something doesn't go my way and I'm patient until until I get figured out. It's literally long-suffering. Long, long, intense periods of time suffering. Which means this when it comes to unity. It's going to take a long time for me to mature in Christ. And I need you to suffer with me. I need you to walk alongside of me as I mature in Christ. I need you to help me walk with Christ. I need you to be gentle with me. I need you to be humble. I need you to bring the word of God into my life. I do need you to help help me see the, the log that's sticking out of my eye because you've dealt with the log in your eye. I do. I need all that. So how are we going to have unity? We're going to be humble. Others are better than ourselves. We're going to be gentle. We're going to have our emotions under control. And we're going to be patient, long-suffering with one another. And then the world will know that God is true. May it be seen here, yes? May it be seen right here that we would be a church that's unified in one Christ, one body, one spirit, with one God, in one baptism. We're his, united by him, not by our individuality. But we don't lose our individuality. We get to express it in the unity that he's brought us together in. Father, we thank you because you have brought us together. Thank you because you've given us the power and the assurance that we can love one another. You've given us stability. You have given us your word. You are molding and crafting and creating us into the image of you. You are giving us everything we need. And Father, we have brothers and sisters to count on, to live with, to be encouraged by. Father, thank you for this great body of Christ, of your body. In your name we pray. Amen. Have an amazing week. Live in unity. Search out the Spirit. Stay in the Word. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week.